This morning's word, I believe, is a, is a life changer if we will let it be so. Just lift your hands before God. God, I, I wish that someone had told me many years ago what we're about to look at, and I'm sure that will be the case for many of us here and many of those listening at home. So today we open wide our spirits. We open wide our hearts. And we ask you to feed us, to change us. Lord, we want to receive and be edified, be built up, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Take us from strength to strength, from glory to glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated and turn, if you will, to James chapter 1 and verse 13. Now, I want to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago. James chapter 1 and verse 13. A few weeks ago, we began looking at something, and I got quite a shock after I, I, I ministered this message. I think most of you were probably here. We looked for the first time at body, soul, and spirit. And to my shock, I got a lot of emails and text messages and phone calls saying that many people did not understand this issue, even at a primary level. And I was quite shocked at that because I presumed, you shouldn't presume, I presumed that most of you would have at least a, a basic grip of these things. Now look up here, folks. What we looked at on that week was what I consider basic, but maybe not that basic. I was explaining to you what Adam was, not who, but what Adam was. And we explained that Adam had a body, soul, and a living spirit. Be very careful to always stay teachable, okay? Because you can look at that and think, well, I know that, I understand that. But I don't think there's one person in this church that understands that. For example, the Bible speaks about the body in three different ways. There's the body of sin, there's the flesh, and there's the body. Three different connotations in the book of Romans. So when you're reading about the body, you've got to understand which aspect of your body Paul is actually talking about. And then, of course, there's the soul. And we can dismiss it and say, well, I understand the soul. Do you? Are you sure? It's just not that simple, you see. We typify the soul as we're Pentecostals, and we tend to think of the soul as mind, will, and emotions, right? Amen? But the evangelicals don't. The evangelicals believe that the mind is part of the body. Now, it's, it's not a relevant point for today. I just want you to understand that the very basic primary building blocks of who you are, what you are, even as Christians who've been saved for 10, 15, 20 years, you still may not understand that. And as for the spirit, well, that's also incredibly complicated because you've got the human spirit. You've got God's spirit. They've got, you've got your spirit. Your spirit died. You've got a new spirit. You know, I don't want to confuse you, but what I do want to do as we look at this, and as we look at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which talk to you about your body, soul, and spirit, what I want you to do is respect the fact that these things are maybe deeper than you have thus far realized. Okay? So when Adam was born, what Adam was was a human being with a body, a soul, and a living spirit. 
Now, after the fall, Adam's spirit died. He had a body, a soul. He still had a spirit. But that spirit was dead to the things of God. He still had a spirit. But that spirit was dead unto the things of God. And we saw how this is what your lost relatives are like, your lost friends are like, and we need to appreciate that. Still discerning, but got a dead spirit. And then in Genesis 3, when God skinned the animal and put blood upon Adam, we see that salvation came, and Adam once again was body, soul, and living spirit. And you're in the third camp. This is who you are if you're born again here this morning. Now, I hope this pointer works. Nope. <laughs> Could I have the next one, please? This week, I want to just move on slightly, not too much, but if you remember, we talked about there were different people, are all different types of Christian we have here. Some Christians would be dominated by their body, body-dominated believers, soul in second place, mind, will, and emotions, and spirit in a very poor third place. Are they saved? Yes. But they're dominated, they're, they're, the order of their lives is not right. Other Christians, not like that. They, they can be soul-led. Remember, mind, will, and emotions. Some Christians are dominated by their thinking, stinking thinking. Others, it might be the will. They're so strong-willed, and that's always defeated them. With others, what we're going to look at today, it could be their emotions. Okay? So some Christians are soul-led, and maybe the Spirit comes in the second place. But this third column is the goal of God, that we would be Spirit-led people. Right? Spirit-led people. And that through the Spirit, through God's Holy Spirit in you, you start to think like God, believe like God, and see things the way God sees it. Pastor Tom, what you were saying about Uganda, why not Scotland? Why not? Let me tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody else. Pastor Rick came to Ireland, you know. I didn't know. I, he didn't tell me. And he met individually 48, I believe it was, pastors of churches around the nation. And he said that he believed that we could have a national revival and see many churches planted. And he called me up and said, would you come and meet him in London? Oops. So I went, flew down to London, and I met him there. And he said, I believe blah, 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 that we can see churches planted all across the nation. What do you think? I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. You know? So we organized visits to America, to many big churches. And for the first time, I was sitting in a church in the States, and he stood up and he said this. He had never told me before. This is what he said. He said, I met 48, I think it was, pastors individually and asked them if we could have national revival. And everyone said no. It's the truth. Everyone, except me. And he pointed at me and said, except him. And that's why he's here. Spirit-led? <laughs> you must be joking. Not spirit-led. Not spirit-led at all. But soul-led. People who are influenced by what they've experienced, right? By life, but not in the spirit. Because if you, if you live in the Spirit or you're, you've, 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 you've transformed your mind, you will see things differently. You will be able to believe for what you perceive. Amen. And there's a dearth, especially, I agree, there, there's a dearth in Europe of proper belief and Spirit-led believers. Look, folks, any of us can come here and clap our hands. Anybody can. 
Anybody can raise your hands and shout and sing and dance. It doesn't mean a thing. This is a much, much deeper, much deeper thing. Today I want to talk about your emotions. Okay? Your emotions and how they work. And, and put up my next slide, please. How they work and God's plan for changing your emotions. This is the soul. The mind, the will, and the emotions. The first thing I would say to you, please listen with both ears. Your emotions are controlled by your thinking. Your emotions are controlled by your thinking. The mistake we make is we try to exercise disciplines. And disciplines are good. You can go and fast and pray and all that sort of stuff. And that's fine. But disciplines are more to do with the body. Disciplines are more to do with the flesh. But it's the thinking that controls the emotions. It's a different spiritual operation. And if you never understand that, then you won't target the right place. And like many others before you, you can spend years not controlling your emotions. In fact, your emotions could control you, could destroy your family life, could ruin your life and make you an unhappy believer when that doesn't need to be the case. James chapter 1 and verse 13. James chapter 1 and verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. That word desire there is really strong emotion. Some theologians go as far as to say that sin is emotional. That's what sin is. Eve had a strong emotion for that fruit, for that apple, right? Sin is emotional. And that all sin has its roots actually within our emotions. And I want to take three simple steps, and I hope life-changing steps with you this morning. Point one on your notes, a very simple point, but a very profound point. In terms of emotions, we've all got them. Everybody here, some of us maybe would like to think we haven't got them, but we have, I'm afraid, folks. And it's much better for you, rather than burying your feelings alive, it is much better for you to own them Okay, and to start to get some form of self-understanding about the emotions you feel. What's that saying? Suppressed expression is depression. Suppressed expression is depression. And God doesn't want you to bury anything alive. Rather, He wants you to begin to take personal ownership of your feelings. I repeat, God wants you to take personal ownership of the way you feel and obey Him. Now, some groups of people or some individuals can often struggle and try and deny that they have any emotions at all. Pastors are some of the worst offenders, I'm afraid. When you've been in the pastoral ministry for a little while, some of them get hardened, you know, and they tend to dull their emotions, and that's not good. Some cultures do not encourage you to get in contact with how you feel. I don't know what country you come from. I don't know what your upbringing was like or what your home was like. I don't know your parents or whether they encouraged you 
to actually find out who you are. I mean, when you think of some parts of America, for example, very good in drawing out their feelings within their children, and that produces adults who are able to express their feelings, express their emotions. But you have other cultures where if you start to express yourself, quiet. And of course, many things can be buried alive, and that leads to all sorts of problems. I think the most repressive culture I've ever been in was Austria. I was in Vienna, and you can feel the tension. They think it's one of the most conservative, reserved cultures on earth. Well, wow, such tension and such… it's not human. They weren't able somehow to express themselves. They They were on mute, you know? Not nice, not normal, not, 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 just not good. I'm generalizing. But no matter what culture we were born in, our homes could be so oppressive that we, we grow up not expressing ourselves, and that is just, you know, simply not healthy. And then, of course, there's people types. There are many different types of you, many different types of people here. Some of you don't mind sharing your emotions and sharing your feelings and others of you will be very reserved. You should take a trip to the church in Dublin. That's a real eye-opener. The, the, the Southern Irish tend to be very blunt and, and very upfront, you know, and that's a, it's a good experience, especially for the English to go there. Excuse, excuse me for saying that. But I would say, I mean, apart from Austria, some parts of England are also extremely reserved extremely reserved to the point where it's it's not good. Scotland's better and Ireland's better again. But America is probably leading on this point of of, of teaching their people, you know, parents. I'm not talking just about the church. I'm talking about society, teaching people to actually own their emotions and take charge of them. And I'll explain more in a moment. But let me say this, folks, and this is my point today. Everybody look up, everybody listen. You know what, Tom? Some people here won't change. Some people are not going to change. Some people are going to be the same no matter what we do, no matter what we offer them, they'll stay the same. Do you know anybody who stayed the same since they got saved? Anybody? <laughs> you know, don't you? You know people who have never changed, no matter what happened to them. They complain about the church. They complain about their pastors. They complain, complain, complain. But they have stayed the same. There's not one jot of difference. Now, there's reasons for that. And I want to talk about some of the emotional reasons, but not everybody in church changes. Not everybody in church, even though they come every week, not everybody in church changes. And one of the reasons is because some people believe wrongly. It's the truth that sets you free. You see, it's theology, it's doctrine. The truth, you know, the truth will set you free. It's truth first. It's not freedom first. And some people have believed wrongly. Their theology is wrong. And what I mean by that is this. Some people believe that they are subject to their emotions. I couldn't help it. She's driving me crazy. He's driving me nuts. Of course I had to be like that. Of course I had to do this. Anybody would, wouldn't they? Some people have believed wrongly, and they've bought into the fact or the belief. It's not a fact. It's, it's an error. 
They're bought into the belief that their emotions control them. That's, that's the natural man, by the way, not the spiritual man. The spiritual man spoke the spirit first, soul second. Right? The spiritual man understands much more clearly, understands Romans much more clearly. But some cultures you see on this planet have bought into that. Some Christian cultures will excuse you for losing control of your emotions and say, well, you know, I can understand why you slapped him. <laughs> I can understand why you hit back. I can understand why you did this. But I'm afraid biblically, there's no room for that. People have believed wrongly about themselves, and thus they end up emotionally twisted, emotionally distorted for their whole lives long. And that's, that's a terrible shame. Europe is not too good on this one in that in Europe you will have a lot of tolerance for emotional behaviors, which I don't believe God would agree with. I was in South Wales. I was sitting in my living room and I heard, bang, car crash. I thought someone had been knocked down. I ran outside and sure enough, it was a dog. A dog had been killed on the road outside and it was the dog belonging to a mother and her son, a grown-up son, who lived just a few doors down, and they worshipped that dog. That dog was the center of their lives, a bit like yours, Agnes, right. <laughs> it, it was a great dog, and there it is, dead. I had to pick it up, wrap it in a tea towel, I put it in a box, and I took it in. They weren't home, and I had to wait till they came home. And a little while later, they were back and I went down. I was dreading it, you know. I left the dog in my house. And the boy came. He opened the door. Hi! I said, oh, i got some bad news. The dog was killed this afternoon. And there was a moment's pause. And do you know what he did then? He said, no, 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 don't you dare say that! Slam! Oh! Right. Oh. I felt so sorry for him. Don't you dare say the dog is dead. The dog's not dead. So I just stand and wait. A few moments later, the mother came. What? The, the dog's dead. Oh, no. I've got the dog in my house. But you see, his reaction when faced with something was to slam the door in my face. He couldn't cope. I can't cope with owning that. I can't cope with the reality of that. Well, do you know what? Do you know what, folks? And let me talk to you very personally, every one of you. Don't slam the door in the face of discipleship. Don't slam the door of your heart when someone, when someone understands you and someone really tells you what you're like. Don't slam the door and say, that's not me. You need someone who can tell you the truth about yourself and not for you not to react. You need, if you're bad-tempered, you need someone to say, do you know what you are? You're bad-tempered. Do you understand? You need someone who can read you accurately, and you accept that. Now, if, 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 if we fail to do that, we're just like that boy. He wasn't a child. He was in his 20s. We're just like that boy who rejects the reality. Are you willing to be read accurately? Are you willing to say, to, to have someone say to you, do you know you? You're an attention seeker. 
That's what you are. You know you? You have bad attitudes. You know you? You've got a temper problem. Owning your emotions. Getting to the point in life where you're actually willing to accept that there are issues that others can point out and you don't close the door on them. You let them in. Point one's a very simple point. We've all got them, folks, and we need others to help us see them. We need others to help us understand ourselves. That's why people are here. Point two, not only do we have them, but we're all responsible for them. You are responsible for your own emotional reactions. Do you know what the devil, please look up a minute, listen. Do you know what the devil will say to you? You couldn't help it. You couldn't help it. I mean, look what they did to you. Your emotions were justified. You were right to be angry. You were right to hit back. You were right. That's the devil. He justifies or tries to justify to you bad emotional reactions. Now, what you've got to understand, see, in your Bible, God judges what? Emotions. God judges anger. People will go to hell because of unforgiveness. It's emotional, partly emotional. Rage, bitterness, these are emotions. And God can't judge anything we're not responsible for, right? So we are definitely responsible for our emotions. You are, and a point of growth in our lives, this is what Ecclesiastes and Proverbs talk about. Taking ownership of yourself, self-mastery, if you like. We were on a drop-in center, as I've told you, for heroin addicts. And one day, this guy walked in, and he looked as if he had had a stroke. He is paralyzed down one side. And I, for some reason, became curious about him. I wanted to know. I just thought there's something interesting about this guy. And I went over to him, and I said, you know, what happened to your side? Did you have a stroke? And I think he was reluctant to talk to me, but I poked and prodded. And eventually, I got him to tell me what had happened to him. He is a drug user. And he said, I shot up one day. I blanked out. I was out of it on heroin. And again, another heroin user in the room with me in an empty building, a derelict building, hated me. And he went over to the wall. He took a syringe and he scraped off some blue mold in the syringe. And he filled it full of something and he injected my arm when I was out. When I woke up in the hospital, I've been paralyzed down one side ever since. Oh. So we talked some more. And as we talked, I began to take the lid off something in this man's life. And he started to tell me how much he hated that man. And he started to tell me about these plans he had to kidnap him and torture him. I'm not joking. Plans to kidnap him, get, get out into the countryside where no one could find him. And he was going to hold that man and torture him and on and on. And as he spoke, I realized all of his mind was saying this. I'm justified. I am justified. Look what he's done to me. I am justified. And I'm going to do this to him and I'm going to do that to him. Oh, on and on. We, we were open for about two or three hours. And I remember I had to be very forceful with him. We closed the center, and I, I said, you know, we prayed when we closed and everybody goes home, but I said to him, sit down. <laughs> and he, I remember he didn't want to. I said, sit down. And everybody went home except him. And I said, you're going nowhere. 
Because in you, you are going to have to forgive that man. Forgive him? I'll kill him. You are going to forgive him. And, and he had to sit there and I lectured him and talked and brought him through and brought him through. And eventually he started, okay, I've got emotions here. I've got strong emotions, point one. Secondly, okay, I'll take responsibility for the fact that I do want to kill him. I'll own that for the first time. And what you're going to say is you're going to bring yourself to say that you forgive him. That's what we're going to do here. And it took hours. It took hours of talking, hours of him working through what had happened in his life. But I remember in the end, very slowly, he said, I forgive him. I forgive him. I forgive him. It's easy to say, you see, but those emotions would kill him. They'll kill him. You mean, read Proverbs, that's where it is. It says it will rot your bones, it will rot you from the inside out. And no doubt the devil would say to him, you know, you're justified. But you're not justified. You know, Christianity is unique for many reasons. The most prominent one is the thought for the deed, right? That's the most famous one, but it's not the only one. There are many other unique things about us. And one of the, one of the other unique things is this. God tells me how I should feel. He dictates to me because in the Greek it's in the imperative God tells me the way I should feel. And people, can you imagine anything more foreign today, more alien to the earth than someone dictating your emotions? You see, you have a personality, no problem. And we have diverse personalities here. That's fine. It's the way God has made us. But, when, but I guess the spirit-led bit is this. The personality doesn't rule. The spirit does. That's it. The personality. Oh, well, this is just the way I am. You're a patient. I'm not. You're like this. I'm, uh, 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 uh. There's one spirit. And it's when the soul takes priority, when the soul starts to dominate, and you start to behave in certain ways and, and excuse yourself, that's what's wrong. And indeed, that's what's wrong with a lot of European culture, I believe, is that we've bought into a lie. And other cultures maybe don't grow up with that. You see, they, they think we're crazy. I've given you a list, if I can have my next slide up there. The, these are some surprising points. In fact, I'll read the first one. Turn to Psalms 100. Look at this. Psalm 100, verse 2. Psalm 100, verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Now, what you can't see here in the Hebrew is, is what's actually the... the, the imperative is. God doesn't want you to sing. That's not the point. We can get singers anywhere, right? It, it, that's not what the Scripture is saying. Worship the Lord with gladness. He's commanding an emotion behind it. He's telling you how to feel. He's telling you the way He wants you to feel as you sing. And this isn't one Scripture. You could look at hundreds throughout particularly the Psalms, where we're told how we are to feel whilst we worship. Cheerfulness. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Sorry, I didn't look that one up. Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. 
Sorry, I've got the wrong scripture there. I'll, I'll move on to the next one. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is a great one. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Take a look at this. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. And what's the next line? From the heart. From the heart. Right? And there are many others. I, I, I won't go through them. But God not only tells you to love, but He tells you to love from the heart. In other words, He commands the emotion behind that love. Take a look at Matthew chapter 18. And I want everyone to turn to this one because this is really important. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 35. Look at this. It talks about forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 35. Matthew 18, 35. This is how my heavenly Father will also treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister from? From the heart. From the heart. So you begin to see a bit of a pattern here. And if I could draw your attention again. Look up, folks. God not only tells me to love, He tells me I'm supposed to have the feelings that go with it. And a lot of churches will say, well, love is not a feeling. Have you heard that? Amen? Love is not a feeling. A very common statement. It's wrong. That's a wrong statement. It would be better to say, it would be more accurate to say this, love is not only a feeling. But true love, God's love, involves my emotions. We just read it in 1 Peter. Love should be from the, I should feel it. I should feel it. But theologians, subjective theologians, try and interpret Scripture from their own experience. And because they don't feel love for the lost, if you like, they try to construct a theology around that. And that's why you get statements like, love is not a feeling. But the fact of the matter is, when God tells me to forgive, He says, I also want you to feel it. I want you to experience it. I want you to know inside yourself that you have truly forgiven this person. Forgiveness must be from the heart with emotions. Love must be from the heart, Jesus says, with emotions behind it, sanctified emotions. And it just shows how deep God actually goes into your life and mine, that it really is the Spirit first. And He really does want to sanctify my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions and get in the driver's seat of those things. In fact, this perspective on emotions is the only one that makes any sense to me anyway. I mean, I, I'm sure you would agree. I could say to God, why did you make me like this? <laughs> if you don't want me to be like this, why did you make me like this? Why do I have emotions like this if you say I have to change them, right? But of course, the reason for that is for ministry. In fact, look, take, take a look at this. Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans chapter 12. And I'll read verse 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope. When talking about hope, God tells you the emotion He wants you to feel whilst in hope. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. I want you to be, in terms of your emotions, I want you to be patient. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people. Ooh, this is hanging on me here. Oh, my iPad's stuck. 
Could someone read? Oh, here we go. Who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now look at this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Emotions. Feelings. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be a proud and on and on it goes. God dictates the way we should feel. Jeanette fell over earlier this year and she broke her hip. And that was a painful, a long and painful week. And she went through all that. And then Isabel here just a little while ago fell over and smashed her wrist and had herself all plastered up. And they both bumped into each other. Well, not bumped into each other, you know. (laughs) Bumped into each other in Asda. And Jeanette's hip was well and she was bouncing along. And there was Isabel. Oh, dear. And Jeanette poured out onto Isabel her empathy her understanding. And on this Sunday, Isabel walked straight in the door, came up to Jeanette, walked up to her and said, you are one great empathizer. You're one great sympathizer. So obviously that brief encounter, just a moment, just a moment passing in a shop, had such an impact that two days later or whatever, the person will say, I was ministered to by you. You understood my feelings. You've been there. You had been there, and you were able to understand me. You can say, why have I got emotions? Why did God make me like this? I'll tell you why. For ministry. For ministry. So that when someone has just lost their son or lost their mom, you can reach into their lives and minister to them. When someone's just got divorced, or someone's just being told they've got cancer, you can actually have the flexibility Not that you're mastered by your emotions, but you've got the flexibility to own your own emotions and then to minister to someone else. A bit like a worship leader. Best worship leaders are those with a full vocal range. They can hit the lows and they can hit the highs. And the reason that's the best is because everyone is included in that type of worship. Everyone can join in and they're not excluded. If it's too high, you lose half the congregation. And Paul says, rejoice, that's a high. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Learn to release that part of your emotional side. And within two seconds, be ready to mourn with those who mourn. Do you know people like that? You need to be like that. I need to be like that. I need to have the only way, please listen, folks, the only way that I can be flexible enough to mourn with someone here and then turn and laugh and rejoice is if I myself have taken control of my own emotions. And they are serving me, serving the Lord, right? And I'm not dominated by them, but they have become something. All the good bits, all the bad bits of my history now become a vehicle for ministry into people's lives And that's what makes sense of me. And when I look at myself, I can get frustrated or I can understand. I can understand, God, you made me like this so that I could empathize, sympathize, and minister to others. I own my emotions. I own my makeup, my disposition. And I accept myself just the way I am. Are you prone to depression? Well, do you know what? Take ownership of it and subdue it in the name of Jesus and rise above it 
And then when you meet people who have depression, you can reach them, right? Have you been through a trauma? Has something happened to your life? Don't bury it alive. Own it. Acknowledge it. This has happened to me. This was a real trauma. But instead of pretending it's not there, today I'm going to take ownership of everything that's happened to me, good and bad. And I'm going to ask God to help me to use these experiences, which is all I am. Use these experiences to help other people and to become a minister of this grace because I, even though I have emotions, I'm not dominated by them. I'm led by the Spirit. And the Spirit guides my soul and teaches me how I should feel. In fact, He commands it. It's in the imperative in the Greek. Be joyful. We're ordered. We're instructed. This is what we should do. So it's, it's not just a request or a good idea. It's a command where God takes control of our souls. Last point. First point, we've all got emotions and you need to own them. Second point, take responsibility for them and let God begin to sanctify them and, and, and use you in ministry. And the last point, whatever you do, don't get an only me. <laughs> don't get an only me mentality. Okay? We've all had traumas. We've all had terrible experiences. And it is the easiest thing in the world to start down the road of saying, but you don't understand. But you, don't un but you haven't heard my story. I've mentioned Linda Murray. I'll mention her again because she's the best example we have in the church. It's a tragedy, folks. It's, 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 it's heartbreaking. Linda's a great lady. She comes home and her son is dead in the bed. He died of cot death. He's just been born again. She's a member in this church. And then she comes home. The other son gets into serious problems in his life. Then she gets told she's got cancer. Then she gets told her husband's got cancer. And I mean, heavens above, how much can one woman take? <laughs> but I repeat what I said to you. How would your emotions be in that circumstance? We were with Linda just two weeks ago, and she's rejoicing. Rejoices, praises God, can't stop talking about Jesus and how good Jesus is and how he has saved her and helped her. Wow. Dominated by emotions? Is her life ruined? Has life been spoiled? No. You go to that house and you'll find more joy than when you visit people who are healthy with a, you know, full bank accounts, full family and seemingly no problems, but not mastering the emotion. Other homes you can see, and it's sad because emotions can give you the best or the worst of life. You need to control them. You need to subject them to the Word of God and let Him tell you how to feel. Amen? Hand it in. Hand in your emotions. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote two books on this subject. And in, in, in one of them, he says, here this morning in any church, two types of people. One, there are natural men, those who believe that they're under the control of their emotions and they can't help it. And secondly, there are spiritual men, those who are in the Spirit and understand that by the Spirit, 
God can lead me how to feel and I can live in that realm and be flexible to mourn with those who mourn and dance with those who dance. And I ask you, are you a natural man? Subject to your emotions? Or are you a spiritual man? Or woman, same thing. Who has now controlled your emotions through the Spirit? The best example of this in Scripture, in fact, let's just close with this reading. Look at Matthew chapter 8. This is all about emotions, really. Matthew chapter 8. I'm having trouble with my Scriptures here. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Then he, meaning Jesus, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm. Anybody have sudden mood swings? <laughs> Temper? Anger? Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. He's got peace. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and rebuked the waves, and it was completely calm. You know, this scripture has got nothing to do with waves. It's got nothing to do with a storm. Please look up a moment, folks. Listen. Do you know what this is? You know what Jesus is? In the, in, that's Matthew's gospel. In Luke's gospel, it says this. Jesus got in the boat and he climbed up to the highest place. He took the coxswain seat, the chief seat, at the back of the boat, above them all. And they were all here. And the waves began to rock the boat, their emotions. And they began to get terrified. They could, they, he was in the spirit, they were in the soul. And he slept... And that vexed them, and they cry out, Help us! And from the Spirit, if you like, Jesus speaks back to them, and he said this, Let not your heart be troubled. Cool it. You still so much in the world? Come up here. Come up here and live in the Spirit. What he spoke calmness to was not the storm. It was their emotions. And I pray whatever your situation, and you know yourself, you know your own storm, I pray this morning that you will allow God to speak peace over you and that you will receive it. What's your temperament? What have you wrestled with? Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness? Well, maybe for the first time today, folks, for some of you, you will obey the Lord and feel forgiveness. You will obey the Lord and start to feel for the lost and not just say, well, it's Chris here. Chris is the evangelist. He's the one that's supposed to have all the feelings wrong. Bible says you be zealous at all times. To all of us, be zealous for the things of God, for the lost. We're supposed to have these feelings, not excuse ourselves. Okay? Stand to your feet one moment. I'll invite the worship team back. I'm just going to give you one or two moments just to think about your own emotional disposition. Tonight, Kahiso is going to lead us through breaking some emotions within us that may be 
trying to dominate our families, dominate our homes, or dominate our lives. You just take a moment and reflect on your relationship with God and let Him speak into you. God, we make a self-assessment right now. And we speak to our emotional selves, to our soul. Be still. Be still. Be still. God, we take ownership of all that we are, good and bad, all that we are. We don't bury it alive. And whatever our bad ways, bad habits, bad attitudes are, we own them right now in Jesus' name. And we subject them to you. We subdue them. We speak to them. Be still. Be still in Jesus' name. And we reject all bad emotions, anger, bitterness, rage, resentment. All of these we reject. And we embrace love, forgiveness, peace, grace. We embrace these things in Jesus' name.